Father, we uh, thank you for your word, how it provides for us insight and wisdom and shows us directions in which we are to head and it provides for us a future. We know our destiny according to your word. Father, help us to accept whatever is written therein, that we might not just cast it to the side, that we would be awake, that would be watching for your return. And we would ask, Lord, that you would not only provide us wisdom for the task which lie ahead, but help us to really reach out to those who don't know you, those who have uh, been shunned or who have been burned by those in religion or those in Christianity. We pray, Lord, that we can be your faithful and true witnesses. And as we go through your word this morning, help us to accomplish that. In Jesus' name, amen. The task of uh, being a pastor teacher involves making disciples. If you guys are familiar with Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that would be number one, the Great Commission, make disciples. Secondly, this is accomplished by discovering and understanding the true doctrines of the Christian faith and communicating them to others. So that's the job of a pastor teacher, needs to be able to discern what is a true doctrine, what is a false doctrine, understanding those and giving those to the people. Doctrines like the doctrine of God, sin, the origin of humankind, destiny, angels, salvation, and so on. These are the things that are solid and true. Uh, Thirdly, this answering of questions and explaining things such as stories and ceremonies and laws and metaphors and prophecy and parables, just to name a few of the things. People have questions about this. I remember when I first became a believer, I didn't understand the woman who came to Jesus and asked for her child to be healed. And he said, no, I've only been sent to the house of Israel. And she said, but yeah, but dogs even pick up crumbs from the master's table. And I didn't understand that. And somebody was able to give me insight with that. And he was an elder in a church, and he was able to give me that insight, that understanding. And so that's part of the job of a pastor teacher as well. And First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And then fourthly, my job, any job of a pastor teacher, is to equip the saints. Equip the saints for works of service. We are all to be doing something. We're not to, supposed to be idle. Uh, Ephesians 4 tells us in verses 11 through 13, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for this reason, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. If somebody has the gift of evangelism, they need to be instructed how to evangelize if they haven't yet really fanned into flame their gift. Uh, If somebody has um, the gift of administration, well, it's a little bit different than the administration outside of the church, and so they have to be taught how to do that inside of the church. Or if they have the gift of prophecy, how to deliver prophecy correctly. There are those who have the gift of prophecy that have a tendency to lop off heads. That's one of the downsides of somebody with the gift of prophecy. They want God's righteousness to reign. And if somebody isn't doing it, they want to go on full on Elijah on them, you know, and kill the prophets of Baal. But that's not how it's supposed to be done. So the pastor or the teacher is supposed to equip 
individuals in the body for the works that Christ has prepared. Then there's the preaching of the word. Preaching of the word is different than teaching. Timothy was told this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2, which we'll eventually get to. And it involves the addressing of issues of the day which violate God's word and are harmful or sinful and calling individuals to repentance when they get involved in that. So it, it can be more of a topical type message where you, you give information like this is taking place today and this is how we need to stand or oppose this particular issue. Uh, a lot of times moral issues are like that, like the issue of abortion or gay marriage, that type of thing. And that involves preaching as opposed to just teaching. There's an individual who did this in the Old Testament. His name was Ezekiel. He was called a watchman on the wall. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 17 says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. So Ezekiel was called to be the watchman on the wall, see what was taking place beyond. If you're familiar with Israel, especially Jerusalem, there's a wall that goes around the old city of Jerusalem. If you go there, you can get up on it and you can walk around certain sections of it and you can see what's on the outside. In the time of King David, that would have been the border of the city. There would have been some stuff outside the city, but that was a city that was to be protected, and you could see off in the distance if something was coming. In Israel, you could look to the south, and there's big valleys to the south and to the east, and to the north, it kind of goes up a little bit towards Golgotha, and you can see that through the gate Damascus. And so if you're up on the wall, you could be prepared. When I was there in Israel several years ago, Above the Damascus Gate, there's this little arch, this cutout, and there was a a soldier up there with his rifle, and the rifle had a scope on it, and he was pointing it at everybody who was down below. He was just looking at everybody like this. And as you walk out, you think, is he looking at me with that? And he was a watchman on the wall, so to speak. So that's the Old Testament. You had Ezekiel who was doing that. But in the New Testament, there's the equivalent, the shepherd of the flock. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, the word for pastor that's in Ephesians chapter 11, it can also be translated as shepherd, not a pastor. Now, a shepherd, you know, is responsible for the care of the sheep and making sure they're healthy, they have no parasites, and he has the rod and the staff to guide the sheep, and all that I think is familiar uh, to you. Now, some would say, which I have heard with my own ears, that just focus on Bible teaching and stay away from the social, moral, and political issues. I don't know how people can say that because if you take your relationship with Christ seriously, if you take your religion seriously, you take what is taught there and you apply it in your life, in your morality, in your social settings. You apply that in the way you view politics and who you vote for and who you do not vote for. And people get upset if you talk about politics or the world or morality or the system that is uh, currently under uh, or we are under this current uh, system of leadership and they would prefer that we never address anything concerning leaders of the land or laws or dictates that they install or enforce they say don't even focus on that because it's so contentious do you think jesus was contentious 
Jesus was in your face to those who would oppose what God's words says. Who is also in the face of a ruler in the Old Testament? I could name several people, but I'll just focus on one. Remember Nathan the prophet? Nathan the prophet went to King David after he tried to hide his adulterous affair. Lord told him what was going on, and he gave him a little parable of a man who just had this little ewe lamb, and this individual took it and he slaughtered it when he had hundreds in the flock, and, and David was just irate. And he said, who is that man? That's it. His life is done. And Nathan goes, you are that man. Remember that story? And because he did that, he was calling the king to account his morality. He said, this is wrong, and you have sinned against God. And David recognized it, and he repented. And so there is a case in the Old Testament. There's several cases, but this is one case in the Old Testament where somebody who was, quote, a prophet or followed Christ or followed God at that time, Yahweh, and he went to an individual who was a leader, the highest in the land, and said, that's it, you're wrong. And so for us, is there a New Testament example of that? Yeah, there is. Um, John the Baptist, who I just previously mentioned. What did he do? Well, he rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife. He was committing adultery. Now, this guy was obviously in the wrong. Adultery was not accepted even back then. But that's not all he said about Herod. It goes on in verse 319 of Luke. It says, and all the other evil things he had done. And so as believers, we are free. We have examples in scripture, including Jesus himself, that points to the leaders and says, what you have done is evil. It's immoral. It's wrong. It's not beneficial to the people. And so anybody that would say, you should not talk about morality or politics or the economy or any of that stuff. If people would say that, they're just simply misinformed. That's not what scripture teaches. And so what we have been doing uh, since last week is we have been going through what's going to happen to the people, what's going to happen to the planet, and what's going to happen to the economy under the current system we are on. And I've been giving you just small insights. As I said last week, I could spend weeks on each one of these, what is taking place in our society as far as the morality is concerned and the reflections and the uh, leaders who are there. It, it's a pastor's job to teach doctrine, give counsel, condemn evil, exhort the body in areas of love, repentance, good deeds, and warn the body of potential harm. Now that's what I'm doing with this one verse in Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. It says, but, in the, but understand this, in the uh, last times there will be, it will be terrible in the last times. So <clears throat> I'm providing you with one or more warnings as I continue this study. And I'm making an attempt to give understanding concerning the issues of our day, both in a prophetic sense, because I'll, I'll tell you how it really portends to the things that are in the future. And it, what is applicable for us, have you ever heard the phrase, it is an existential threat? All that means is it's a threat that's here and now and can affect us now, and it can be a real problem. It exists now. That's what existential means. So when I read Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, mark this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I could just say, yep, it's going to get bad, really, really bad. 
so terrible for everybody. Yep, you can count on it. Know that the badness is coming. See, I told you, just like Scripture says, it's coming. Would not provide any insight whatsoever. You wouldn't understand anything more than just, it's going to be terrible. It's terrible. Well, how terrible? Well, I don't know. He didn't tell me how terrible it was going to be. He didn't tell me how to prepare. He didn't tell me what to do. That's part of the shepherd's job is to look at these things that's happening in society, in moral circles or morality, and also in the political realm and say, hey, you need to watch out. This is going to take place. You need to take cover or prepare for what's coming. So I will spend my time explaining what people will be like during these times, or I have explained what people will be like during these terrible times. I will point to the examples of the social, moral, and political realms that it provides insight to us, and it lets us know that indeed prophecy uh, that God has delivered to us is true. It will encourage us in our faith when we see these things actually transpiring that God prophesied. He said, it will happen this way. Right now, we see the precursors. Last week, I told you we are in the birth pangs. Remember the signs of the marks of the latter days? Um, In Matthew 24 and 25, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21, we have these insights. Now, uh, the people, I talked about the people, the woe to those who call evil good and good evil. In uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verses, or verse 20, it talks about that, that that will be the sign of the end of the age. In Second Timothy, I'll read it again, verses 2 through 5. This is what the people will be like at the end. Not that there haven't been people like this all throughout history, but it will be like a worldwide phenomenon. It says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the form of godliness but denying its power and have nothing to do with them. And so all of these characteristics that are listed here violate Philippians chapter 2, Verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you can compare and contrast just those two sections of Scripture. If we're not looking for the interests of others or out for those, we are looking out for ourselves. And we only care about ourselves. And that is the mode of our society today. We are in a narcissistic society, a narcissistic country, and it is a worldwide thing. Now, Christian persecution will increase. We know that this has happened all throughout history, but it's getting particularly bad, especially in the 1040 window. Even in Canada, of all places, you think, Christian persecution in Canada? I don't know if you've been following the pastor that has been arrested up there because, remember, they closed his church during covid And then they busted down the doors, they went inside, and once they busted down the doors, they put a fence up, they tore the fence down after that, and since they stopped them from meeting in the building, well, they met outside in a field, and they came and arrested the pastor. You cannot meet, and you know, God says, do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, as is a habit of some, and all the more that you see a day approaching, and that's in Canada. Have you guys heard what is going uh, on in Western Australia? Just incredible firing rubber bullets into people that just want to meet. 
they're, they're coming outside and they're coming in crowds and so they're firing rubber bullets. A guy stepped outside a block away from his house to smoke a cigarette and they threw him on the ground, put him in handcuffs and arrested him. You cannot do that. You cannot go outside. And it's just getting terrible. In Italy now, uh, I just heard this last week, in Italy, you cannot work without the vaccine. That's it. If you are engaging people, if people are in your workplace and you're talking to them, you have to be vaccinated. It is the most onerous mandate that has come across uh, the wires in the entire world right now. I know China did some stuff where they were welding people into their houses where they couldn't get out. That was a little extreme. But in Italy now, you can't do that. So Christian persecution certainly is going to be on the increase, let alone persecution of anybody who is out there. But the top 10 places that Christians are being persecuted today are in North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Atria, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. And for the first time, Nigeria entered the top 10 after uh, maxing out the open doors metric for violence that was there. In, in Africa, it's just taken place. There was the first death that just was recorded in Uganda, which is 65% Christian. Uh, some Muslims came in and they killed a Christian pastor there. And so this is going to be the sign of the end of the age that the people or Christians specifically will be uh, attacked and they will be persecuted. Then the planet, I talked about the famines and the earthquakes and the wars and the rumors of wars. All of that has taken place. I even talked about some volcanoes. Volcanoes and earthquakes and famines, I'm sure they will double at the time of the Great Tribulation. But we are certainly moving in that direction. In Matthew 24, 6, 8, I'll just read it to you again uh, since I did last week. It says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth banks, but the end is not yet. Remember? So if somebody says the vaccine is the mark of the beast, like I said last week, it's not the mark of the beast. Is it leading to the mark of the beast? Yes. These earthquakes. Is it the end times because we're in the earthquakes? No, it's not the end times. It is the beginning of birth pangs. We are seeing it. The door is opening and it's coming towards us and we can recognize that. And we've seen how the approach of evil has just multiplied over the last 15 years. I talked about the cell phone. I did all of that. And so we have covered how the people are going to be affected, how the planet's going to be affected. Now, what about the economy or production? So I had those three things, the people, the planet, production. The production is the commerce. It's the economy around the world. Now, is it bad? Yeah. Is, is there inflation? Yes. Is there hyperinflation? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion on that. Yes. You know, when we had the last president in there, the inflation rate was 1.2 to 1.5%. Do you know what they're saying it is now? By the way. When they gave that number, they included food and fuel. The numbers they're giving us today do not include food and fuel. The inflation rate that they are reporting is 5.4%. It's probably double. It could approach triple the inflation rate. They're just not telling you. It's like when, not Trump, but when uh, Obama was president, they did that with the unemployment numbers. They started taking out different factors of unemployment to make it look like the employment was low. So they fudged the numbers 
in order to make it look okay. Now, is there bad inflation right now? Yes. Is it going to get worse? I'm going to tell you, and this is a warning, yes, it's going to get worse. Everything that I've read, now, I am not an economist, but I can read and I can see what people are saying out there who are the experts, the people that I trust. If somebody comes along and says, oh, we're going to have 500,000 jobs in the next quarter and you only get 100,000, you know, they're, they're trying to lead you down a road of falsehood. That's not what is happening. There's over, I think since the first of the year, over 4 million people have left the job market completely. And that's based on a few things, whether it's the vax mandates or the money that they're receiving from the government to not work. And they would deny that that's a factor. I've seen those reports. And of course, I don't believe that at all. But uh, remember when you come across something, I was taught in journalism the first paragraph of any journalistic piece will have five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Those things are involved. So if I tell you inflation is going to get bad, well, you want to know about inflation. You don't want to just hear me say, oh, that's going to be terrible. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Yep, scripture said it's going to be bad. I just want to let you know. So let's move on. No, I'm supposed to provide some type of explanation. Why is it going to get bad? What does it look like when it's bad? What or who caused the bad inflation? When will it get really terrible? And what are the signs? And how will this affect us? And what should we do as believers? Now, this is the job of the shepherd or the pastor, the teacher, to let you know God has warned us this is coming. So what should we do? As a result of this coming, because we're heading towards uh, not the last days, but the end times in the last days are the precursor to that. Well, keep in mind, I'm not saying we are in the tribulation. I still believe that these are signs of the last days and they will happen suddenly, but not instant. They will take place over years, I think, just a few years, but they will not happen in a single week. Now, this is just a sign of the things to come. Now, this is a warning for us that we might prepare as I get into this economy thing. Proverbs 27 verse 12 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. So if you do nothing from this point on, knowing that hyperinflation is here and it's going to be here for a while, you're going to be damaged. Now, that means that the value of your dollar is going to increase when it comes to inflation. Remember I said that they took out, out of the inflation numbers, the index, the food and the gas. I know since last year, gas has doubled. It has doubled in price. And it's not going to retreat. And that's all because of the policy of stopping the energy independence. We were completely energy independent and we were selling to other countries. They stopped all that. Now our prices are going up. It's the law of supply and demand in economics. I remember that from Dr. Madden when I took economics. He made us make graphs of the law of supply and demand. And you draw on that graph and you can see as the supply goes up, you know, you're going to meet the demand and the price goes down and, and vice versa. So we want to be aware of these things. We want to make sure that we are prudent when we see the danger and we take refuge. Now let start with this. It's my belief that there is rampant corruption in so many sectors of life. I believe it's in the tech industry. I believe it's in the 
academia or university system throughout the United States. And I have reasons for that that I won't go into. I, th- I think that that's one of the bastions of the leftism or Marxism, which is there. Uh, it is sunk its roots deep into all forms of government, whether it's local, whether it's state, or whether it's federal. There are some states where it's not as big of a problem, but nationwide it is there. The corruption is huge. There is a relationship now. If you've ever heard of crony capitalism or crony socialism, that's where industry gets into bed with political figures and they work out what's going to take place. I want to give you an example of this. Remember when they banned the incandescent bulb? Remember that? Now, we changed these lights. See all those curly Q lights up there? It's because not only were the other lights not going to be available, but they're going to charge us. They raised our rates. I don't know if you guys remember this, but SDG&E came in and said, oh, we're going to raise your rate. Now, they sent us a letter saying they're going to do it. Then a year and a half later, they said, oh, by the way, you owe us for all the back energy you have used, and it was over $5,000, and they're going to charge us like $2,000 a month for electricity. And we said, what you can't do that what? come on that's good you know it's going to negatively affect us if you do that and if you remember uh, eric eric got on the uh, consumer bob met right here at the back and talked to him about it we tried everything to talk to stg&e to say hey you can't do this and he said nope sorry this is your lot and just bite the bullet and we no, we're not going to do that. So we called Consumer Bomb. I think Kim was instrumental in that. Consumer Bob came out. We had this interview. It was aired on television. Eric is a celebrity. He was on television. And they said, oh, SDG, oh, we made a mistake. Oh, we... And they changed it and they pulled it all back. And they said, we, you don't owe the $5,000. We're going to give you credit for what you've already paid. And, and so things were resolved. So we had that um, confluence, I guess is the word, all at the same time. And it just went away because God is faithful and he knew what was going on. And and so he protected us in that. Well, during that time, there was GE, Sylvania, and Phillips. They all manufactured these curlicue bulbs. They got in bed with the environmentalists. They lobbied Congress to make the incandescent bulb illegal for production. Because they did that, the more profitable curly Q LED lights were the ones that were going to be sold. So they made a windfall profit doing that. That's corruption. That's crony capitalism. They just move things along to benefit them. And, you know, GE, Sylvania, and Philips, you know, they provide these products for us, but they manipulate the system. They have lobbyists. You know, every single person in Congress has a lobbyist from Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and they are lobbying to make sure that they are not negatively impacted by the laws that get passed, and they put money into their coffers. When I was in seminary, we talked about this on a local basis, that if you need something in the city, being a religious organization or even be in a business, you have to drop money into a fund of a politician that you want to talk to before you even set up a meeting. And once you do that, they recognize you and they'll accept a meeting with you because you are giving. That is crony capitalism or crony socialism. It is everywhere across the country. It just happens. There's no way to stop it. But that's the type of system that we are under. 
Now, at this particular point, I'm going to remind you, why am I talking about light bulbs and GE and Sylvania and Phillips? Where is that in the Bible exactly? The book of Philippians? Is that where Phillips is located? It's not located there. I, I want to make sure that we have some understanding how inflation works and what causes it and its effects and how we can guard against it so our families, our fellow believers might seek some refuge, as I just stated in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. We want to prepare for these things that are coming along, but we have to have an understanding of, well, how does this happen? How, how is it that we went from 1.2 or 1.5%, whatever it was, up to 5.4%, and it's even higher than that? How did we do that? And, and why is everything becoming so much more expensive? Well, I'm going to give you three things. Regulation, corruption, and shipping. Those three things. First, regulation. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but in 2008, there was a governor of the state of California. I'm going to pump you up. You know, you know who that is, right? Arnold Schwarzenegger. He started out trying to be conservative then he got whacked by the media and he became pretty much a leftist and that's how he governed for his second term and he was termed out in 2011 well in 2008 they decided to phase in the requirements and mandating that heavy trucks participate in the matter of reducing the emissions. They believe 40% of the emissions in the state of California are caused by the diesel trucks that are here. So they said, okay, we're going to stop that. We're going to make sure that everybody has a truck that was built with an engine after 2010. By doing this, they reduced the amount of trucks in California by 50%. Right now, we are at 50% of the number of trucks that used to be in the state of California because of this mandate that went in. Now, by, I think it's uh, 2045, there is not going to be a single diesel truck that is going to be sold in the state of California or allowed to operate. They're all going to be electric. Now, it's a whole debate where they're going to get the electricity from a coal-fired power plant, which is going to cause pollution. And I mean, we can just go on and on with that particular debate. But that's what they're going to do. Because of that, we have 50% fewer vehicles that are hauling materials out of the ports. Now, it is 2045, as I see in my notes here, and it's known as the Advanced Clean Trucks Rule. And the rule aims to have electric emissions trucks on the road by 2024 that's when they're going to have the first ones and they will have nothing but electric zero emissions vehicles by 2045 so that's where we're headed by the way this last week uh, governor newsom he signed a bill that said no more gas-powered blowers gas-powered mowers gas-powered hedge trimmers that directly affects me. I heard that first hair in the back. My neck just stood up. And I went, you know, it just, what? well, I started talking to um, some vendors of those things. And it appears, you know, they're, they're almost perfecting that stuff. So it might work out well. But some of the commercial companies that go out there and do what I do, they may have to carry 30 to 40 batteries on a truck. And then they have to have an inverter to charge them as they go if they don't have those 30 or 40 batteries. And you know, the, the torque on the equipment is good, but there's some downsides. You have to wear a backpack battery right now on the pack if you have a blower or something. It's just, it's just a mess, and it costs money. 
you know, you, you have to reinvest in all this stuff. It's just like the trucks. Now, I worked for one trucking company, and I know they had to change all of their trucks. Uh, they originally had about 18 trucks. They're not up to 18 trucks now, but you can start doing the uh, figuring in your head how much that would be. And then they're eventually, if they're still in service, going to have to change over to all electric vehicles. Uh, just by way of information, you know the Tesla is a battery-operated vehicle. And a lot of people who are driving those vehicles, they buy them used. And because they're so expensive when they're new, they can go up over $150,000. Uh, but you can get them for seventy dollars or $80,000 if you desire to drive an electric vehicle around. And you might get two to 300 miles out of them. And if you go to 7-Eleven to charge up, well, that trickle charge will get you about another 10 miles if you sit there for about 30 minutes. They're not very efficient. You have to have an uh, instant power station like at your house or at the dealership, something like that, for it to actually work well. Well, there are two engineers from Tesla that decided to go start their own company. And they are being uh, very diligent, and they have succeeded apparently in designing a vehicle that's electric, fully electric, that will get 500 miles out of a single charge, which that's pretty good, 500 miles. That's equivalent to a gas-powered vehicle. Well, the only drawback is all of their cars start at almost $160,000. They start at $160,000. Now, I'm sure the government's going to come in and say, we want this, so we're going to take your tax dollars and subsidize some of that cost, and, and so they're going to taxes even more for a vehicle like that because all vehicles in the state of California by 2035 that are going to be sold are going to be electric. Now, do they think this will have no economic impact on our state? People will start doing the black market thing. I'm going to go to Arizona or I'm going to go to Nevada or I'm going to go to Tennessee or wherever. I'm going to purchase what I want there and I'm going to bring it back. I talked to somebody the other day about that, about the electric blowers and stuff. And he goes, truck driver, do I need to pick you something up in New Mexico or Arizona and bring it here? You know, it's like, well, that's, we start to try to find a way to get around these things, but it's going to negatively impact us as far as our pocketbook is concerned. Now, let me continue with this truck idea. <clears throat> so we have 50% of the trucks. There were smart people who anticipated this, people in the shipping industry. And they said, you know what? There's not going to be very many trucks in California when this all starts coming down. And so what we're going to do, we're going to make plans to ship to other ports. And those other ports are in the Gulf of Mexico. They are on the east coast of the United States, which means if they come from China in that region of the world, they have to go through the Panama Canal, which has its own price tag doing that. Or they have to go around South America, going down the Horn. That's a treacherous ride down there. And then the additional fuel cost and the shipping cost, just the main maintenance of the ship and to end up in these other ports and these other ports, they're not all of them. They are not uh, equipped like Long Beach and Los Angeles. And so they're going into the Gulf and they're going all the way up the coast of the uh, United States, the East Coast. So you add to that the shipping cost. Now, when you do that, that means it's farther and there's going to be delays and these Ships can haul thousands of containers. Now, if you've seen these containers, they're massive. 
They're massive containers. We had one out here for a while when we moved over here. We stored a lot of stuff in it, and they took it away. But it used to be that a uh, container company would charge about $1,500 for a container. That's what it would cost you to get the container and put the material in it. You're renting it. I have read estimates that they are now charging 9000 15000 and even $25,000 for a shipping container to put that on a ship and to haul it. So all of a sudden, the price of the goods inside that container are going to go up because of the trucks in California not being able to haul the material across the country. That's major ports that are out there. I don't know if you've seen the pictures. The optics are not so good. 75 to 100 ships off the coast of Long Beach and off the coast of Los Angeles. And by the way, you know what the president's solution is to this? The optics are bad, so move the ships. That's it. Just move. We don't want people taking pictures of the ships out there because it makes us look bad. And so that's the solution. That's no solution at all. It's just going to continue to drive up the prices. Now, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this. I tried to look for some. I saw some last week, some pictures of the containers at these ports. Now, I don't know if you know how this works, but they have these large, tall cranes with these booming arms that go out. And what happens, and these guys are good. I've watched, actually, the video of how they do it, this crane, and it just runs this move. It goes And those listening, uh, it's not going to do you very much good, but and it goes down and it attaches immediately to the container. It, it doesn't even take seconds. And they attach it and they bring it up and they bring it back and they put it onto a truck and the truck takes it off. And that's how it works. And the truck, they know which container it is. They know which truck needs that container to take it to its proper destination. Well, there are 50% of the trucks. The people who are smart said, we need to line up trucks to go to the Gulf and go to the East Coast. So not only is there 50% of the trucks in California, but the trucks that are here are now across the country. They are not here. So what are they doing with the containers that are coming into the ships? They're taking them and they're stacking them 20 high, 20 feet, 25 deep, not 20 feet, 25 containers deep. And if you've ever seen the Port of Los Angeles or Long Beach, these road, the acres, they're just acres of these things going on, and they're stacked. Now, if you're a trucker and you come in and you say, I have a load that it has to go from here to Alabama, I need container number ZXY3125. Well, that's underneath 50 containers, and you got to get to it. So how long is it going to take for you to get to that? You see the backlog that's taking place here? And all of that sitting time requires money and the containers that's why the containers are going up because the products that people are producing uh, across the world they are sitting now in warehouses in containers there's not enough containers they're all stacked up and they all have material inside and they can't keep up with the demand and they can't move this stuff out all because of one policy let's get rid of the emissions on trucks and we voted for them it was either Arnold Schwarzenegger or Bustamante at that time. Bustamante was evil and wicked. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think it was just ignorant uh, as far as politics goes. But we elect people and they make bad decisions. We need to call them out on it. And we need to reverse 
whatever is going on or handle it in a different fashion. And by the way, the climate change, that whole issue, I think it's a ruse. I believe the Communist Party has landed in the climate change organization, the environmentalists, and they want to bring down the country. Now, this is my opinion. I've read on it. It's my opinion. This is where they are. And if they bring down the United States, that raises the rest of the world. We have funded China and all their evil procedures. I was just talking to Dennis this morning about the new missile that they have that's supersonic that goes completely around the world. And the article said, the United States was taken off guard. Oh, my. We didn't know this was going to happen. Now, I don't totally believe that. I believe they knew what was going to happen. I, I think it's just politics at work here. So these... The trucking, that's what's raising the price of the stuff that we get. And how long will it take for this problem to be remedied? How fast can you build trucks? And how quickly can you bring back the truck drivers who don't want to work anymore because they're getting benefits that supersede whatever they'd be making? It is a long haul. This is why the inflation across the country, and I'm not even talking about cryptocurrency and the manipulation of the dollar in this country and what's going on with that and the stock market. I'm not even going to go to all of those, but that's playing into it as well. Monetary policy uh, that the administration has right now. So this is what is taking place. It's coming at us. We need to be prepared for it. I've read several articles. Uh, One of them was on uh, toilet paper. You know how when COVID started, people were hoarding toilet paper and they said, you know, that was just fake. It's because we had, we had a shortage because people were hoarding it. That's why he had the shortage. We weren't running out. And they said, well, now this is going to be a real shortage and you're in it for the long haul. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you go to Costco, even though they'll limit you and try to fight to get as much toilet paper as you possibly can. Yeah, I'm just telling you shortages are coming They're going to be here. Even the administration said that this is going to be a blue Christmas. People are going to be blue on the inside. They're going to be down because they won't be able to get what they want. Because everything is sitting in a container somewhere and they can't get to it very quickly. So, you know, if you've seen what Bitcoin has done lately, it's over $60,000 for a single Bitcoin now. It was 38000 just a few months ago. And it's just going up. And that, by the way, plays into Revelation chapter 13. The cashless society. No man can buy or sell unless he has the vaccine card. Those things are coming up. They are going to be here. They're trying to install it. And if it's not going to be the vaccine card, it's going to be with the stimulus package of $3.5 trillion. But in there, there's not very much stimulus uh, for the infrastructure, the infrastructure package. What they want to do are things like get into your bank account. Have you heard how much they want? Uh, to be able to monitor your bank account. They want to see if you have any transactions over $600 over a year's time, and then that gives them the right to look at your bank account, and the IRS can audit you in real time to see what you have. They're arguing about that, so they said, well, maybe $10,000 in a year's time. Do you guys have $10,000 go through your bank account in a year's time? The IRS wants to watch everybody, and what's their rationalization for doing all this? They say they want to catch the rich billionaires who are trying to hide money. For those people who have $10,000 in their account in any one year. I mean, it's just corrupt 
to the nth degree. And they're spending $87 billion more to hire more IRS agents to watch you and what you're doing. Not to mention your phone and everything else that's going on and tracking you and listening to what you have to say. I cannot tell you how many times I have said something to Patty and it shows up on the phone. I've been talking to her. We just had another one last week. I forget what it was, but they're watching everything. They want to control everything. They want to make sure you don't have much money. All the spending that is going on, it is going to raise your taxes. The tax wealth or the wealth of the um, people in this country is in the middle class and that's the last group they need to come for. And with the stimulus that's uh, on the table, they're going to come for it. Worldwide, we are $300 trillion in debt. 300 trillion. Do you think we'll ever get out of that? What is that going to lead to? We're just adding to it. What would happen to you if you were $1 million in debt? They would come take everything that you possess and then throw you in jail is what they would do. Well, you can't continue on a worldwide market operating on that kind of debt and it will collapse eventually. And when it does, we know that the scripture is going to be fulfilled that talks about a bread a loaf of bread is going to cost you a day's wages. It says that in the book of Revelation. That's what happened. And by the way, that's inflation. That's where we are headed. We are headed in that direction. And God wants us to be prepared for that. All life is going to be affected. And I believe this is being done on purpose by those who wish to control and inadvertently they will usher in the system that will be used by the Antichrist. Now, if you don't think it's corruption, you think it's just mismanagement and the people don't know what's going on. Well, there could be part of that, but the people who are in charge, they know exactly what they are doing. They are not blind and they will lie about what they are doing. They will say it's for the children or it's for the benefit of the downtrodden or those who have been discriminated against and this is coming. It is the philosophy of Karl Marx. And by the way, Karl Marx didn't originate this idea of communism and socialism. It goes all the way back to Plato, Plato's Republic. And after that, the uh, utopia that was published. It was all about this idea of having everything in common, a few people at the top, and they control everything. This has been around for centuries, and Satan is manipulating it, so it's coming to us this day, and eventually it's going to be here full force when the Antichrist arrives. Now, how far away are we from that? Uh, it's close. That's all I'm going to say. It's close. How close? Uh, maybe we'll see it. Maybe our children will see it, but it's close. I mean, that's, that's how the end is wrapping up. If you just look at all world history in the last 200 years or 150 years, the exponential rate of growth and knowledge and technology and wealth that has taken place, it's all leading towards the end. So how do we apply all this stuff? What are we supposed to do? Be like an ostrich, go dig a hole, stick your head in the sand and just wait for it all to pass. And Lord, rapture me right now. I just want to go home, you know, and nothing else can happen. Well... We need to ride this out, whether long-term or short-term. But how? How do we ride this out? The first thing is a right heart. If you don't have a right heart, you're going to be destroyed in the midst of this. There are some people that they live for just arguing and talking about the politics and the people who are in power and boy somebody ought to take them out you know and they talk like that it's like ridiculous don't don't even go down that road 
Don't even try to gin up the people. Let's go right. Let's do an Antifa only on the right. Let's do a Black Lives Matter only on the right. Let's, let's do No, that's not God's solution. That's not what he would have us do. The book of Proverbs is good for stuff like this. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and out of his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield for those whose walk is blameless, and he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful ones. So if your heart is right before God and you seek after him like you're mining for gold, by the way, to get an ounce of gold, they say in a rich area, uh, rich deposits, you have to mine a ton of dirt to get an ounce of gold. And so that means you're working. You're working at it. So if you're seeking understanding, if you're seeking wisdom, you dive into the word, you see what the word has to say about everything we're supposed to do and make sure your heart is right. That's the very first thing that we have to do. And of course, along with that comes prayer. That's understood. And then we want to be wise with our money. And not just with our money. We also need wisdom to deal with the government which will seek to control our money and even our lives. We, we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Do everything that we can legally. But if you don't have some money tucked to the side maybe even cash or, you know, uh, however you deal with uh, um, money, uh, you need to have some set to the side for long-term, months and months, that you can write out any difficulties that might come there. Because uh, one article I read, they said that beef is now going to be a luxury and that chicken is no longer going to be a staple. And so uh, things are going to get really expensive. I'm sure you've seen it if you go buy something, especially at Costco. You can't get out of there for under several hundred dollars if you're going to buy something there. And so we want to be wise with our money. And the money that you have, if it's in investments, seek some advice. You know what they say. Some people that I've listened to, they say, well, during times of inflation... You want to make sure you have some cash reserves. You want to make sure that you're real careful with the Internet and, you know, the, the um, stock market and the bubbles that can come and go there. And, and then they say well, real estate is a good place and gold is a good place. I, I, I'm not an expert on that. You have to find out what the experts say. Somebody who understands not only what the Bible says but understands economics as well. And then we want to be a witness. We want to share our faith with others. We want to let them know what eventually is coming. We want to let them know they need to prepare too, that God told us there'd be times like this. And so we want to make sure that everybody is going to be able to ride this out. It's kind of when past presidents have been elected. I remember one time a president was elected that I didn't agree with or an individual was elected to be a president that I didn't agree with. And it was at a home fellowship. The home fellowship was getting ready to meet, and they just announced who the winner was. And all of us at the home fellowship, we were watching the television, and we, our hearts just sank. We just go, no! And, and it didn't turn out to be quite as bad as we thought, that it was still bad, you know, but it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be. And that's kind of where we are now. Like, 
I'm a conservative is where I am. I'm not a leftist. I'm not a liberal. I am a conservative. Now, some or someone could be voted in in several levels of government that would give us a reprieve. Like I felt we had a reprieve in the last previous election. I believe that things were going bad and somebody stopped that and it was unexpected and hair went on fire and people tried to stop him. And you know the story of that. Whether you like him or not, things got better in the country. And now they're getting worse. But I want you to understand this, that overall, I believe the course we are on is irreversible. It will not ever go back to the way it was. Pandora's box has been opened. The things that are in there are coming out. Since the leftists have taken over not only the tech and the censorship that is going on in Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of those, not only that, but in the halls of academia, the leftists who are occupying the places in academia, those who follow Marx, they are everywhere and you cannot get a teaching position as a tenured professor anymore if you go to a university which should call into question whether or not you send your children or grandchildren to university because that's where they reside. And also in business, the crony capitalism or socialism, which is there, and finally government. All of those places are permeated so deeply that I believe God has set it up where it's not going to be removed and it's just going to get worse, especially with the rise of evil countries like North Korea and China and the 1040 window, the Muslims which are over there, and their Sharia law and their intent on installing that worldwide. That's where we're headed. So finally, with all this good news that I've just given you, don't be anxious. Be anxious about nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And he will fulfill your prayer request. He will make sure that you're sustained. And even if you're not, say it gets really bad and we die. It's glory for us. I mean, that's where we go. I just want to make sure in the time that we're here, you guys are informed on what's going on. You're prepared. Don't be argumentative. Just point things out to people. Just share with them. And that's why home fellowship is so vital. Because when you go to home fellowship and you have a chance to talk about these things, and you wade through them and there's wisdom that's provided, it really helps. That fellowship of the saints, God knew what he was doing when he designed that scripture. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren, as is the habit of some, and all the more as you see a day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word and the insights that it gives, that you showed us that there is going to be massive inflation during the time of the tribulation. And we know that it's leading up to that. We don't know how far away it is, but help us to be faithful during the time that we abide here that you choose not to get us. We know that your timing is perfect, so help us to be patient. Help us to trust in what is ahead. And even if we lose everything, just like those in the book of Hebrews who joyfully accepted the confiscation of their houses, they did so knowing that they had an inheritance that would never fade away. And Father, we understand we have that as well. So fill us, Lord, with your wisdom, your understanding, and mostly with your love for each other and those who are going to suffer during this time. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, please stand.